0: This is Dollar Collapse, your ringside seat to the global economic crisis. To get the full story, go to dollarcollapse.com. Hi, everybody. This is John Rubino from dollarcollapse.com. It is Monday, December 21st. And once again, a lot to talk about this week, but in a kind of a different format. Sometimes there's one big story that dominates the um, financial media landscape. Like last week when the Fed raised interest rates for the first time in Eight years or whatever it was. And other times there are a lot of smaller stories that come together to paint a picture that in this case is pretty ominous. Um, So today we're going to talk about three or four things that we should all know about and that together give a very scary picture of what's happening in the world. So let's start with that $9 trillion that the emerging market economies borrowed over the past five or six years. The idea was that because their currencies were relatively strong and the U.S. dollar was relatively weak, they would borrow a lot of U.S. dollars, invest that money in their domestic economies, generate lots of revenue and earnings in their local currency, and then pay back cheap dollars at a nice profit. Well, it didn't work out that way because the dollar promptly turned around and went up dramatically. And and that means that a lot of these debts that were taken on are now underwater. In other words, they're not generating enough cash flow to pay off the suddenly much more expensive dollar debt that they'd taken on. And for the past year, people have been saying this was a potential crisis, that a lot of this debt was unmanageable, a lot of these bonds and bank loans were going to default, and that that might be the, the big black swan, the big crisis that hits and then spreads to the rest of the economy and causes a a global financial crisis. Uh, But it never happened. Um, We we went really the whole year with everybody um, saying what a huge crisis this was potentially, and uh, with everybody worried about what was going to happen to this debt, but nothing ever did until Friday when the biggest Mexican construction company defaulted on a piece of its dollar-denominated debt, and it looks like it's got $1.5 trillion or so that's now at risk and that will have to be restructured. This is a fairly big deal for the bondholders and the banks that are on the hook for this debt. Now, if you want to know what the impact on the global economy will be, take this deal, you know, take the, uh, the Mexican construction company's debt, multiply it by a thousand. That's about how much emerging market dollar denominated debt there is out there. And since a great deal of it is underwater, uh, we can expect 2016 to be a year in which you have this drumbeat of defaults on the part of emerging market entities that we've never heard of before. But that owe big developed world banks or bondholders a lot of money. So this could end up going a couple of ways in 2016. Either it's a um, drumbeat of background noise in which every once in a while, some company we've never heard of in a country we couldn't place on a map blows up and causes some losses for some banks or some bondholders, but doesn't generally affect the overall financial system other than making people a little bit more nervous and antsy than they would be otherwise. Or it becomes something like subprime mortgages were in 2007, 2008, where it's a problem in a relatively small sector at the periphery that blows up and then metastasizes and spreads to the core and causes a broader financial crisis. I think there's a very good chance that the second is the way this works out because $9 trillion is a lot of money and it's widespread. Lots of banks are on the hook for these loans and lots of um, pension funds and hedge funds, own these bonds. And so problems with one of them will be problems with many. And we'll see, but I think there's a good chance that this is one of the two or three black swans that we really have to watch out for in 2016. Another interesting thing happened this weekend in Spain, where the country had its national election, as is pretty well known. is a, a country that borrowed way too much money during the last expansion and wasn't able to pay its debts and had a crisis that was, um, you know, that came along with Greece and Portugal and everybody in the Eurozone. You know, that's part of the periphery. And... It's got some very deep-seated financial problems, which are becoming political problems now. There, there are two major parties in Spain who have basically ruled the country since the uh, the liberalization after the reign of General Francisco Franco. It's the Socialists and the Conservatives. Today, the Conservatives are in charge, but Spain is pretty much of a mess financially, and they've got some uh, corruption scandals going, and that is leading to the rise of new political parties that got about half the votes in this last. Election and the current ruling conservative party does not now have enough seats in parliament to form a government. So it looks like there's a good chance that the uh, the next government will be formed by the socialists and this new far left party called Podemos, which means that the socialists will be pulled to the left in order to form this coalition. What left means in the European context now is higher taxes, higher government spending, and generally the same. kinds of policies that Greece tried back in 2014 that set off a eurozone crisis that lasted almost the whole year. So I'll go out on a limb and say that Spain will be at the center of the next round of the currency war. They won't be able to function within um, the, the current euro regime. And in order to keep them and several other countries in the eurozone, the European Central Bank will have no choice but sometime in 2016 to really dramatically devalue the euro. Another story that ties in nicely with the first two is Brazil. Now, this was the Latin American country that got it right in the previous decade. They had low deficit, high growth, a pretty stable political system, and it looked like they were going to um, emerge in the next decade as a world power. But it didn't work out that way. Commodities crashed, so... um, a lot of their export earnings disappeared and the government responded by spending huge amounts of new money and they had a corruption scandal and you know, basically reverted to old form. So Brazil has a decision to make. Is it going to be a capitalist country or is it going to revert to um, the typical developing world pattern of inflating away its currency and, you know, lopping a couple of zeros off and starting over after a huge crisis? And it looks like it's going that way, unfortunately. Um, they had a, um, a well-respected, very serious finance minister who was actively trying to limit government spending and, and stabilize the economy. Uh, and they just replaced him with a guy who looks like a... Um, A political operative who's very open to bailing out everybody in sight and increasing government spending and printing as much new money as it takes to cover the resulting debts. And because that's the kind of thing that we've seen over and over and over again, especially in Latin America, but around the world... And it always results in a currency crisis. It's reasonable to expect the same thing for Brazil going forward. And they're the biggest Latin American economy. So the reason it ties in here is that we're seeing this kind of decision-making process operate around the world, with the end result being that the only choice left For the government and the central bank is aggressive currency devaluation. You know, that's going to be seen by Europe and by big chunks of Latin America and increasingly by Japan and the U.S. and China as the only way out of this mess. So we're going to see wherever it starts, you know, maybe it starts in Europe, maybe it starts in Latin America, maybe it starts with Japan or China. We're going to see a wave of currency devaluations in the next year or two because it's the only way to deal with this much debt that doesn't involve an immediate plunge into a 1930s style depression. Add it all up and we're looking at a really unstable 2016 in which all this emerging market debt is starting to blow up and governments are changing and becoming a lot more um, likely to be willing to try to inflate away their currencies in order to avoid some kind of a debt crisis. And the conclusion is pretty inescapable that um, this kind of financial instability is going to translate into volatility in the financial markets. We could see stocks spike in the U.S. because so much terrified capital is flowing in and not really caring much about valuations, just wanting to get out of China or Brazil or wherever. Or we could see U.S. stocks just tank because people get worried about corporate earnings and, and um, expect bad things in the future and don't want to have their money at risk. In times of uncertainty, there's no real way to know which asset classes are going to do well, except that historically precious metals have done pretty well. The crazier things get, the more attractive things like gold and silver become, because they are basically forms of money, historically, that can't be created in unlimited quantities by governments. So when governments start messing around with their national currencies, when they start deciding that devaluing their currency really aggressively is their last chance to avoid some kind of a crisis and they stop worrying about the value of the currency, they just need to get through the next election cycle or the next earnings season or whatever, that's when precious metals tend to do really well because they just sit there, you know, their their supply doesn't increase while the supply of national currencies tends to go through the roof. So the difference between those two supply trends make precious metals look relatively good. And so I think that um, especially after the last two or three years, which have been just a brutal bear market for precious metals, going into 2016, the situation is a lot more favorable because you've got all these government trends and all these private sector trends that are pointing towards crisis of one kind or another. And that tends to play to gold and silver's favor. So I think there's a pretty decent chance that um, even though there'll be a lot of volatility and there's a chance for one more leg to the bear market, one more down leg. Probably five years from now, we'll look back at today's valuations and today's world and think that gold and silver were bargains at current prices. Anyhow, that's all for now. Talk to you next week. Happy holidays. Thanks for listening to Dollar Collapse. For regular info and updates throughout the day, go to dollarcollapse.com.